It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off for the next couple of days, back next week. And then the three of us are actually together for a few days before I I take the go through the, the vacation turnstile and make my way out to Minnedosa, Clear Lake, and Nipawa for How golf. How excited are you? Super excited because I played Minnedosa and Nipawa two years ago. The only times I've played those courses. First time, loved them both. They're fantastic. I've never played Clear Lake. I've never been to Clear Lake. So I'm excited to go back to Minnedosa and Nipawa, and I'm very excited to play the golf course and to see and stay in that region. I was going to ask, where are you staying? Are you staying in Wasagaming? Yeah, one of my buddies knows a guy who's got a cottage out there. Come on. He's going to let us use it. Come on. Yeah. Oh, that's outstanding. Uh, we lucked out because uh, we've tried in the past to to make something happen in Clear Lake and the, the cost of accommodations always ends up vetoing sure. the the idea of, of going out there. So the fact that we were able to score some accommodations for, for cheap is uh, fantastic. So I'm thrilled. I can't wait. Can't wait. How many nights? Uh, we're just doing Friday through Sunday. So we drive out Friday, play Minnedosa, yeah. head to Clear Lake, and we stay there for a couple of nights and then head back Sunday and play Nipawa. Because there are just so many uh, dining options in Wasagaming. <laughs> the food there, the food options are outstanding. Is, does one jump to mind? Yeah, the White House. The White House. <laughs> Make sure you go for <laughs> cinnamon buns. That's a great way to start your day. <laughs> I've been, was it, somebody else told me I've got to go to the White House. Uh, yeah, who was that? Somebody that was in our studio. It was the oh, mayor. It was the mayor. That's <laughs> yeah, it was right. Mayor Scott Gillingham. Yeah. That's right. He's not the mayor of Wasagaming. He's the mayor of Winnipeg, but he knows about <laughs> the White House cinnamon buns. Anybody who's ever visited Westman or lived there or visited Clear Lake, they're legendary. And I haven't been to Clear Lake since pre-pandemic. Uh, I guess the last time I was there was five years ago because actually memory came up on my timeline on Facebook yesterday, a little mini trip that the boys and I took around southern Manitoba, uh, down through Morden, through Holland, all Mm. through southwest Manitoba, and then straight up through Brandon, Clear Lake. We went up through the Narrows, through Dauphin, came back home. We were gone for two or three days. And uh, can't think of the name of the Italian restaurant that's attached to the dance hall. Ooh, but it's it's <clears throat> most excellent. It's okay. very good if it's still there. Okay, if you know the name of that restaurant, let us know because we are indeed looking to to head out and and explore. I think they still have a pizza place there too. <clears throat> oh yeah, I know there's one in Winnipeg Beach, but I think there's one with Sagaming as well. Like like the actual uh, branded like pizza, pizza place. place. Yeah. Oh neat. Yeah, it's like a you know stroll back in time. Okay, I haven't had pizza place in maybe since I was a kid. Okay, so uh, yeah, very excited about that. But indeed, we will be back together for a few days. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. Back next week, we're going to give away some tickets for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers taking on the Edmonton Elks next Thursday. And it has to do with... Gord Miller, and specifically Gord Miller, television sportsing personality, his his aunt. What's the deal here, Mackley? I'm going to read the uh, the tweet that he sent out uh, a couple of days ago. Visiting my aunt in Calgary, she's frustrated that her deck chair has a rip in it. We're going to take it back to the store where she bought it and see if they can repair or replace it. It came with a lifetime warranty. 
She bought it in 1985. And here's the kicker. She still has the receipt. Where? Like, where did she keep the receipt? I don't know. In her wallet? I don't, I don't, I don't know. How would you remember? That's where mine would be, in my, in my George Costanza wallet. A lifetime is defined as a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yes. So... So here's an update from yesterday. As it turns out, the patio store in Calgary is different than the original patio store, which closed 20 years ago. The new one offered a 20% discount off a new one, but uh, my aunt declined. We're now looking for uh, someone who can repair the tear in the 40-year-old deck chair. So that's, that's commitment <laughs> to holding on A to something dear to you and uh, can't help but think that the uh, new patio store fumbled an opportunity to score some serious points on social media by honoring this lifetime warranty, whether they sold this woman the chair or not. That's fair. I mean, even the 20% discount they offered was, was they didn't have to. Even no, they that. didn't have to do that. I'm just saying, you know, you know it's, you're right. it's the Nordstrom conversation taking back the tires when they don't even take tires or sell tires. So here's the question that we have for you this morning based on the fact that not that she tried to take back a chair that was 40 years old, but the fact that um, she still had the receipt. So we a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what's something old that you own. Well, now well, let's go a different direction. What is something in your possession that probably should have long ago found its way to the trash? 204-780-6868. For example, I've got like golf scorecards going back five years. What am I going to do with those? I actually tried, like, I went through some of them just to see. I'm like, I don't remember this. I don't remember this. Because it's all just, it's like random days, numbers. A couple of them will be special, but most of them, they're just random, right? Well, I was just wondering, like, were a couple of them with individuals you don't get to golf with very often? Uh, did you have a particularly good score? Like, something must have something must have compelled you to set it aside or keep no, it at some point. Just a hor- it's, a, it's so I can keep track of my handicap, which I don't even care about, but I have to for tournament purposes for my buddies. All so, right. Yeah, so eventually I have to sit down with all of them and punch them in. Uh, it's dumb. Poitras, <laughs> start with you. Well, back in 2011, um, when the Jets uh, returned to Winnipeg, I, made a, I, I went out and bought a white T-shirt and I made myself a Dustin Bufflin jersey with markers and uh, felt pens. Thirty-three. I used the old, uh, the not not the '90s logo, but the the one that's now in the Heritage uh, jerseys. And I and I made one for myself. It's very crude. It's very bad. Over the course of of many years, it has progressively gone further and further and further back um, in my closet. I can't bring myself to throw it out it is ratty it looks like a complete piece of crap it's stained it's gross but i i can't i can't get rid of it i just can't never part with it cam because of and i am a guy that loves to throw stuff out i'm like i have no problem with it but this it just represented a very very important day um to me and to many winnipeggers and many manitobans and uh, canadian hockey fans and i just was like I, i i took the time i did it um, I wore it to the forks uh, for the celebration. I just, I, I can't get rid of it. I just can't. Do you have any pictures of this? I, I, I'll take one for t- for tomorrow. Yeah, it's <laughs> not. It's all like I ran out of space with Bufflin very, very quickly when I put the nameplate on <laughs> the back. Big it's like B. It's going <laughs> smaller. Oh shoot! The I E N are like down the uh, down the right arm. Uh, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well done, Cam. Yeah. Sarah McCarthy, what about you? 
Yeah, my thing, I'm not usually a pack rat with a lot of things, but like my one thing is like concert tickets, sport tickets, whenever you got like a physical copy, which isn't so common nowadays. But, like I went to the Gold Eyes last night, that ticket's going to sit on my desk for weeks or years. I don't know. Maybe I won't throw it out. An right actual now. ticket stub? An actual ticket stub. Oh, Still at the Gold Eyes. Yeah, pretty mm. cool. So like, I don't know. It just like, can't. it's like sentimental to me. I don't know. You have memories associated. Not like last night was a very special game. I don't know. They lost. But <laughs> I don't know. It's just stuff you hang on to, like just with the memories and whatnot. But I don't know. Maybe I should make like a scrapbook or something but then the scrapbook just sits there so i don't know what to do with them but it's just something that'll hang on to i guess yeah. i miss the ticket stub i do yeah. well so many people will 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 make art out mm -hmm. of their concert ticket stubs yeah, right? yeah I, I mean i got garth brooks from 2016 first time he played with a band in front of a live audience in mm -hmm. 17 years and i saw him in calgary when he came to do the stampede and i have that and i will never no. ever get rid of that and if it had just been something on my phone or whatever it had been gone it's already. It's gone, yeah. Yeah, yeah you yeah. take a screenshot and it'll it'll just get lost in the thousands <laughs> of screenshots you might have exactly. in your yeah. phone and your cloud. Mm -hmm. So, Forte, what about you? Uh, my item, I've actually used this for a different halving uh, coffee talking segment back like, I don't know, it was like four or five years ago and I still have this item. And so what it is, is every time I get a hole in a sock, I take that sock and I put it into this bag thinking like, you know, I'm going to use these socks as rags or something like that to clean with. And I never, ever do. So this bag of socks is just getting bigger and bigger. It's been sitting in my closet for years now. And I really should get rid of it or at least use them in some capacity. But I don't. They just sit there. That'd be a good duster. Just put your hand in the sock. But I never use them. I always use a, 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 a what's it called? A cloth. My mom used to sort of rejig old socks into dog toys. She'd stuff them with oh, something. That's brilliant, cool. actually. You can, you can, yeah. you can stuff them with other socks. You can use yeah. them as a man, uh, if you're going to go as mankind for... Uh, <laughs> Mr. Socko! Yeah. Mr. Socko! It was 25 years since the Hell in the Cell with... Um, the Undertaker. With The Undertaker. I rewatched that match. That's I'm not a big wrestling guy, but what? that's ultimate wrestling. I have the ultimate side hustle now, just for you. Poitras just, just planted the seed. Just market them as Mr. Sockos. Put them on <laughs> line and sell all these things Make as, them as Mr. Gross as possible. Yeah. <laughs> but they're mostly ankle socks. Mr. Socko was a, what was he, a tube okay. sock? Never it was mind, a, it was a full thanks, tube sock. Thanks, yeah. thanks for the assistance, Forte. <laughs> My Mankind costume helped me win a trip to WrestleMania. X7 in Houston in 2001. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb's off this week. We're asking you this morning, what's something in your possession that probably should be in the garbage? Like something maybe you wonder, why am I still hanging on to this? Or you stumble upon something. Why? What is this doing here? Why? I, like I, even as I look at my fridge, I've got receipts and flyers that should go away. But they're still there because I'm lazy. Mackling, you, all, you talk about your legendary hoarding and your various totes. Um, I know that you hang on, you have those totes because you hang on to things for yes. sentimental value, but yeah. is, is there something that jumps to mind for you that you wonder why, why, why do I still have this? Well, I, my, my genuine answer would be one third of the things in my house. <laughs> like, uh, you know, but at the same time, it's gotten to the point and it's pretty cool to see. Even my wife has to admit that it's pretty neat that my kids are discovering my uh, various tickle trunks yep. and going into them and, and finding the old concert shirts, the old sports 
t-shirts and jerseys and a variety of different things. And so they're making use of them now. And so it's kind of strengthening our bond, I would say, as uh, fathers and son uh, or father and sons. So I don't know. I don't really regret most of the stuff that I've been hauling around all this time. So I could never possibly put my finger on one thing that I should like should have gotten rid of by now because it's multiple things. But at the same time. You just never know. Like my brother the other day sends me a listing from eBay for this Andre Agassi Nike poster in the <laughs> tube. In the tube, they're selling for regularly and, and commonly for 85 US dollars. Oh, wow. He says, I have at least one still in the tube. You know, really? And so, oh, yeah. And I'm sure his wife has bugged him multiple times to throw some of his stuff out. Eh, it might pay off some of these things. I always said it was a savings account by <laughs> RRSP, so to speak. I don't know if that's going to come to fruition, but some of these things are worth a bundle. So I just have to get maybe a little more diligent at searching the eBay and the different marketplace sites and, and maybe parting with some of this stuff, but not in the garbage. Yeah, sell this stuff or make more than my money back on it. I hope. Yeah, on the collectible front, uh, I remember I got when I got back into comics. I started reading. Uh, there was, a, I believe, the title was Ultimate Spider-Man, if I'm not mistaken. And um, the one issue at the time that I missed was the one where Miles Morales was introduced. He's uh, the new Spider-Man. Right. I think it was the one where he was introduced and maybe Peter Parker died in that comic. I can't remember, but it was the big one. It was the the one. And he, of course, is the the primary Spider-Man featured in the the across the Spider-Verse and into the Spider-Verse movies. Only reason I know this is because of the movies. Yeah, so I was I just I, I didn't I didn't get to the store in time and they sold out. So but that one I bet you is worth some money. Not RRSP money, like not my retirement savings, but I, when you think about collectibles, I, I definitely missed an opportunity there. Kurt. Anyway, Kurt says, what I have that should be torn out, maybe passed down, my black leather pants circa the late 1970s or Ooh. early 80s Ooh. when I was much, much younger. Kurt, good for you for hanging on to those, I say. I mean, maybe there's some sentimental value, but that reminds me, like, I bet you I still have my stupid like mega baggy jeans from the 1990s. We've got these black jeans. I think the brand was like snake eyes or something stupid like that. <laughs> and honestly, the, 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 the bottoms, like the, the pant legs were like yeah. 30 inches wide. My word, like, like literal bell bottoms almost. Kind of. Yeah. But they were, they didn't, they didn't flare out. They just sort the, of the like, whole thing. Yeah. The whole leg was built like that. Yeah. Just it, they, I, I look in hindsight, I looked ridiculous, and I I'm, I can't even bring myself to look at pictures from back then because I looked so stupid. One of the boys was wearing a pair of my jeans. Uh, my wife says, why do you even have those still? I have no idea what era they are from, but uh, you know, my waist, uh, I, at its smallest, probably like even in grade 9, grade 10 was maybe 29, maybe oh. 30. Okay. Well, my kids are pretty slight, and so they have to button put the button through the first belt loop and then around and then back through in order for these jeans to fit them. And even then they probably still need a belt, uh, but they've got to be 25 years old or more. These jeans, yeah. why I have them? I have, I have zero clue. 
Yeah. It's just sometimes you're in that headspace where I paid money for this. I'm not throwing it out. They're not frayed. They're not damaged. They're still in perfectly good condition. Somebody could use these someday somewhere. And that proclamation, that foresight is now paying off, Brett. And sometimes I hang on to clothes too, just because uh, depending on the weight fluctuation, there are some clothes, like when I lost all the weight, I was I was able to wear clothes that I hadn't worn in years. And then I put some weight back on and I had to go back to a pair of shorts that I wasn't wearing in the meantime because mm. I, I they didn't fit anymore. I'd, gained, I'd lost too much weight. Like the pair of shorts I'm wearing now, I, had, I, I left them aside. I'm like, I better hang on to those just in case because my weight goes up and down like a seesaw. I've got a pair of golf pants in my closet right now. They're called my inspirational golf pants because ah, I'm hoping go. to get back into them before the end of the year. There you go. We'll keep at Macklings on a no carbs kick right now. And it's going great for him so far. Two weeks in uh, one listener says my jungle boots from my army days last saw action in 96. Still have those. Interesting. Chris says I still have my Sonny Bono uh, hairpiece from 1978. <laughs> I got on, you, man. <laughs> hairpiece. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, like, is it like, a, like, per, I'm guessing it's permanently affixed. I don't know. Uh, uh, on your head. We need more information on this one. Could still just be hanging on to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, keep those coming for a chance to win some tickets for the bomber game. Uh, we are going to pick a winner at nine 15. Also a reminder that we have uh Boney M tickets featuring Liz Mitchell, November 29th at club Regent event center. And we gave away, uh, in our last segment for our small town salute, we gave away three pairs of tickets for the uh, red river, uh, North garden and, uh, art show. And Jeff Forte, who won those tickets? Our first winner was Bethany McLeod. Our second one was Tara Tatro. And our third was Tiffany Evans. Excellent. Congratulations. It sounds like a great time. And if you want more information on that or you want to buy tickets, go to redrivernorthtourism.com. But right now, we want to talk... About, well, hey, during the pandemic, we consulted with our next guest on a regular basis. Yeah, this morning, we welcome epidemiologist Cynthia Carr for something completely different. Good morning, Cynthia. Oh, I guess we don't have Cynthia. We had her. Oh, okay. That's fine. Well, Brett, why don't you talk about what we saw on on social media last night? Um, In, in, In your words. On social media last night. Uh, from from her post? Yes. Okay. Um, well, it was, uh, she was visited by something. Okay, we, we have her on the line, so right. go ahead, Greg. Okay, Cynthia, good morning. Hi, can you hear me now? We sure can. Clear as, clear as a bell. It's like you're in my dining room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, quite an interesting evening for you at your house last night. Why don't you tell us what happened? Well, I was just sitting in my family room uh, having a coffee and I noticed my cat outside. So I opened uh, the door uh, to let the cat in and literally the cat walked in. I turned my back. I turned around again and a coyote, a small uh, coyote pup, I guess, was following the cat and ran into the house. Uh-oh. The coyote pup must have eaten the uh, internet. 
cable <laughs> connected to Cynthia's computer. Uh, do, you, do you have her phone number, Forte? We might we might just have to get her on the phone as opposed to that. Um, yeah, somebody just send it to me, please, and thank you. Okay. Uh, so Mackling's going to get that to you. Uh, but in the meantime, so we had, uh, it was this was tipped off to us that, and you can see it on Cynthia's Facebook page if you follow her there. But uh, yeah, there's a coyote pup in her home. Um, so we're, we've been talking so much lately about coyotes and how they are making their way further and further into our city. And we've had those two attacks on children in North Kildonan. So it's scary stuff. I mean, when you look at this, when you see this, this coyote pup, you'll, you'll think just that Oh, look at the puppy. Uh, but that's not necessarily something that we should be thinking. So Cynthia Carr is now on the phone with us. Uh, so let's try this again, Cynthia. What happened last night? Sorry about that. Um, I was having a coffee, looked up, saw my cat in the backyard, uh, opened the sliding door to let her in, literally turned my back for a second, and the door was still open, turned around again, and a, a small coyote pup ran in the house and parked out in my dining room. It was following the cat. That's uh, almost impossible to imagine. Uh, do you live in an area of the city where you see coyotes on a regular basis? I have not. I do live near Assiniboine Park, and my neighbor mentioned that he had seen one uh, in the, you know, kind of early spring, but that certainly has never happened to me before. Um, so I did, you know, call Manitoba Conservation. At first, I wasn't even sure what had happened, but um, I must say that as cute as it was just kind of sitting there in the dining room, uh, they get vicious fast. So certainly uh, I was glad I didn't touch it because when the conservation officer did come with the gloves and the net and everything, uh, boy, did it react fast and, and you want to stay away from them as cute as they might look from a distance. Okay, so just looking at the pictures now, you've got some video as well. Uh, so what's the, uh, what's the update on this as far as, uh, I'm guessing, conservation uh, has to get involved? Yeah, so I definitely called the 1-800 number. The conservation officer called me back within two minutes at my house within half an hour, which was amazing. Um, and yeah, he had a big, like a big fishing net, big gloves, the whole deal. Um, we had to open kind of a ground floor window to get it out because it was really fighting uh, once approached by a human. So again, uh, learned that it was the right thing to just kind of keep eye contact with it uh, and a distance until somebody who knows what they were doing showed up because it went from cute to vicious real fast. So what do they suspect, conservation officers, that is the, the intent of the coyote coming to your house was? probably looking to have a snack on your cat okay. um, so uh you know i, I kind of just did a little bit of research and it you know they are looking for cats and small dogs they don't typically uh go after humans but they're looking for food and so in our backyards too like we shouldn't be feeding the rabbits the deer any kind of fruit anything like that uh you know those are going to attract the coyotes and apparently they habituate very well to like a city environment so uh, just kind of those things to keep in mind because, uh, you know, we don't want to draw them uh, into our homes or into our yards for their safety and our own. Um, so just some tips there. Yeah, we had, of course, the situation with the coyote attacks in North Kildonan just a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Trappers were brought in to, to euthanize a couple of coyotes in our yeah. neighborhood. So this is... 
you know, this is uh, something that's becoming more common. Coyotes are part of the environment. Interactions with humans, I suspect, may become more common. Yeah, and apparently because they don't like humans, uh, they do tend to be out more at night. So, again, if you're walking a dog at night, they like to track the dog. Um, So just be alert and aware of your surroundings because they're quick, very quick. (laughs) Well, Cynthia, thanks for bringing this to our attention. Glad to hear that everything worked out okay, but uh, I'm sure it was a scary sight indeed. So we appreciate you sharing the story. No problem. Have a good day. Cynthia Carr, epidemiologist, founder of Epi Research, and now the uh, recipient of a coyote visit, and not the, the kind of visit that you would like to have in your home. Right now, we are going to discuss the BC port strike. And even though this strike is happening on the other side of the country, The effects are being felt by our province's producers. Global's Matthew Merkel explains. Cam Dahl, the general manager of Manitoba Pork, says farmers rely heavily on foreign markets to buy their product. He says the long-term impact will be felt across the province. We ship about $730 million worth of pork to Asia out of our West Coast. You know, it doesn't take very long for, for that to back up. Our most valuable product is, is chilled pork going into, into places like Japan. You know, they pay a premium for that. And how long are they going to continue to pay a premium if, if we're not able to, to fill our contracts because of, of labour disruptions? Dahl says the strike only further impacts supply chains and an industry that is still recovering from the pandemic. He hopes the federal government will do everything in its power to resolve the strike and reopen the ports, allowing Manitoba farmers to sell their pork again. Matthew Merkel, Global News. Barry Prentice is Director, Transportation Institute and Professor of Supply Chain Management at the University of Manitoba. We call upon Barry Prentice in times like these. Barry, good morning. Good morning. So there was some thought that this impasse was getting closer to a resolution the last several days. There was some hope. First of all, why the hope, and perhaps that still exists, uh, that this will end sooner than later? Well, of course, they had a mediator who was uh, given some 24 hours. And I don't know when that uh, 24 hours ends, whether it's an hour or so or not. But uh, they were trying to uh, have a position put forward to the two sides and by the government and hope that it ended um, we'll find out, I suppose, if it's only uh, coming due in a few minutes, but uh, I don't have a lot of hope for it. So what is the overall impact on the economy and the lo- logistics of moving goods to market <laughs> and getting well, consumables to us? Well, it's one of those things that, you know, it's like a slow-moving train wreck. It, it, you know, we're going to feel this for a long time uh, because the, the Railway Association themselves say that it's three to five days to catch up for every day you miss at the port. So right now we're looking at 30 to, to 50 days to just move things in because you've got to fit everything in with what you're already moving. And there's some 20 ships that are at anchor. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to take time and, and this is going to impact uh, people who are receiving goods. There'll be delays. And also, of course, as you heard in the previous story with the pork folks moving things out and, of course, some lost sales are likely to occur too. We saw something similar in Los Angeles I think it was last year, uh, maybe even into this year a little bit, Barry, and the federal government, the U.S., they stepped in and, and helped negotiate a deal. And and even as far as I know, get involved in terms of the logistics 
to clear the backlog in Los Angeles. So there's going to be obviously a, a back a backlog in Vancouver, no matter when this strike is settled. A couple of questions for you. Should the government be involved further in terms of getting these workers back on the job quicker? And what role does government have in terms of helping create the situation and, and the uh, circumstances necessary to clear this backlog quicker once, once this is resolved? Well, certainly the government does have an obligation to keep the supply chains moving. I mean, they, they regulate the ports, they regulate the railways, uh, they're involved in transport. They, they can't just be you know, benignly sitting aside and saying, well, work it out when you get a chance. Uh, this is too important to the economy, and at the same time, the players know this, and it may be of interest in one side or the other to wait for the government to to impose a settlement as opposed to trying to do something themselves. Um, again, it's back to what are the demands. One of those demands, you know, to to reduce or to to seize automation, you know, sounds kind of ridiculous when you think about uh, how the world uh, works with technological improvement. I don't think the government would accept that, and, and maybe that's something that the the buyer, the you know, the port uh, operators, uh, are not going to accept either. So they'll wait for the government to impose a deal. You know, again, uh, the U.S. did step in and they got things moving. Governments can help to move these things along, and it raises one of the larger questions I have, which is, you know, we have a competition bureau for corporations. We don't like monopolies. But somehow we're willing to accept labor monopolies. And, you know, this is a monopoly that closes all the ports. And, you know, at what point in time do we say enough of that? You know, if you're going to have uh, breaking up co- or <laughs> the uh, ability of firms to extract extra revenues, then why is it okay for labor? I don't understand that myself. It's a great question, Barry. And our guest is Barry Prentice, Director of Transport Institute and Professor of Supply Chain Management at the University of Manitoba. And Barry, I was just watching Global National yesterday. They, they did a story on this with the, an update and they, they just presented one business, uh, for example, a uh, family business. They sell uh, beverages, bottled beverages. And they said that if this doesn't get resol- resolved soon, it's going to cost them $200,000. That's one business. So when I think about the potential implications in terms of money lost, like we're, we're, we're not just talking thousands or hundreds of thousands. We're talking, I imagine, billions of dollars on the line here. Well, it is. And, and of course, extra, added extra costs. I mean, I'm also reading about the U.S. About 15% of the goods coming through those ports end up in the U.S. Chicago and Memphis are big distribution points. Well, they're looking at trying to redirect the ships to the to the U.S. ports to unload, but that adds extra costs. And, and it's not like those port, ports don't have congestion already, so when they receive their goods, is also going to be delayed. This comes back to finally, you know, do you want to use the Canadian ports if we're not reliable? And, you know, the system here, uh, again, if we can resolve this quickly, I think, yeah, we can keep our reputation. But if longer it drags on, uh, the more people are going to be concerned in the future. So that's just one example of, of extra costs, but you're right. I mean, the the guys selling his chilled pork that we heard of in your news article earlier during the pandemic, well, they had to resort to using air freight to move pork to China because they wanted to keep their customers. Well, that's, you know, many, many times the cost of moving it by water. 
So again, that adds extra costs, and ultimately that's paid for by everyone here because uh, the producers get less, uh, the processors get less. You know, it just adds up. In, so, spo- yes. in sport, <laughs> yes, in, in professional sport, uh, sorry, Barry, but in professional sport, they talk about the number one ability is availability. And in the world's economy, uh, that rule must be, and that adage must be pretty top to the list, uh, top of the list uh, when it comes to sourcing out your product and customers. Well, yeah, and, and it comes back to that issue of how much risk do you want to entail? Because businesses always entail risk, and there's market risk of different types, but that supply chain risk is one that you can usually control, but not when something like this happens. And, of course, we also have other firms, you know, process-type firms. Uh, the fertilizer folks are saying they're shutting down production. They've got no place to, to put the extra product. Uh, Forestry is facing that. The longer this goes on, the more industries like that are going to have to make a decision uh, you know, can we stockpile goods or we ju- just lay people off and suspend operations? Barry Prentice, Director of Transport Institute and Professor of Supply Chain Management at the University of Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. We appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Bye for now. Right now, we've got an urgent and rather important message from the Winnipeg Humane Society, and it's quite simple. They are full. Christina Graham, Director of Adoptions at Humane Society, joins us now and is here with Kilo, the eight-year-old Doberman, who is absolutely handsome as all can be, uh, answered and, and sat when I asked him to sit. He's beautiful. Good morning, Christina. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us. Well, you know what? I'm sorry it's under these circumstances. We always love to help out, but this sounds like it's an urgent situation. So when you say you're full, like you're, you're talking full, full, overflowing, full? Full, full. Like we don't have rooms and, and runs available to take all the animals who need our help. What's causing the uptick? I think it's cost of living. I think it's across North America, especially within the city. I know every shelter, every rescue is full and desperate for adopters or fosters. So give us an idea of how many dogs we're talking about. How many dogs do you normally have room for? How many have you got right now? So we normally can comfortably have in care, including foster homes and in our clinic, around 120 dogs. And right now we have... So many, it's ridiculous. Uh, I would say there's probably over 160 that we're caring for, including in foster homes. So who have you brought with you here, this handsome uh, this handsome young lad who is being very nice right this now? This is Kilo. He is eight years old, and like many owners, he was surrendered to us because they needed help with medical care. So we have sent him to a foster home. We determined he had a bad ear infection due to allergies, and we removed a lump from one of his legs. So he is now ready to go, ready for adoption, and just looking for a cushy retirement home. He's so well-behaved. He ha- is house-trained, like... And he's available for under $100. Okay, so we don't want to deter anyone from from coming forward here who would otherwise be able to provide a a loving and caring home and and the proper environment for a dog. But veterinarian costs are a genuine concern that you have to take into account when you welcome a buddy for life, right? Absolutely. And our adoption counselors go over their medical files and will try and give a reasonable uh, estimate for what you can expect to ensure that it is a good fit for your home. So have you ever been at this capacity before? This is the worst I've seen it, and I've been there for over 10 years. So this is definitely a kind of crisis situation because we are desperate to to help the ones in need. I can only imagine how heartbreaking it must be for those that are... That are surrendering their animals because it's sometimes 
unfortunately out of necessity, right? Absolutely. There is definitely no judgment. We just want to help as many as we can. And that includes our community. We have a pet food bank that we're always looking for donations for so that we can help people that are struggling to help keep their animals in their loving homes. So if people can't adopt, we ask that, you know, they consider fostering or donating or even just shopping at our pet shop. Uh, those proceeds all go to the animals. We've got a summer raffle on right now on our website at winnipeghumanesociety.ca. Honestly, every little thing helps. Even just sharing our social media posts of those adoptable animals is just greatly appreciated from the Winnipeg community. I understand why a lot of apartments are no no pets. You know, they want to provide a, a quiet environment. But there are a lot of, I like, <laughs> it's almost a good thing that I, live in a pet-free building because every time a dog comes in here, I want to take that dog home, but I can't. Uh, but do you do you wish there were fewer uh, no-pet buildings? Absolutely. I wish they would take deposits and have, you know, responsible pet owners should be allowed to have their family members. There's benefits to having a pet in your home, emotional benefits, uh, physical benefits. So, you know, pet companionship can be so important. Uh, and we do have a lot of pets like Kilo that are well-behaved and won't destroy a home. And so I think that renters should have that opportunity to have pets in their home. What well, I've been to New York City and dogs are everywhere. And of course, most people in Manhattan live in apartments or condominiums, so it can be done. On the flip side, I, I am a landlord as well, and, and so it can be a little bit of a challenge. Is there any conversation about expanding maybe the, the rights of individuals to have pets uh, in, in, in multi-unit in multi buildings? We are seeing an increase in property uh companies that are allowing it and they're even building yards on site for those pets just down here yeah. right at 300 main i think they have two or three uh, outdoor areas for for animals right yes so we are seeing an increase but of course we would like to see more and we do help uh people who are looking to adopt if they have questions about pet friendly rentals we do have that information uh as well available to them Guest is Christina Christina Graham, director of adoptions at the Humane Society, which is full max capacity. Uh, so when you're in this situation, the, it's an urgent, as you described it, it's a crisis. How hard is it to work where you work and not take all the animals home? It is so hard. And right now we're having reduced adoption fees on every animal in the building that's available. And it makes it very tempting. But luckily, I am at the city limit. So that keeps me and my husband uh I'm going too crazy. <laughs> the city limit? Yes, you're allowed six pets in the city, up to six cats, but only four can be dogs. So you could have four dogs and two cats or just I never four knew, dogs. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, it went up uh, in 2014, I believe. Yeah, wasn't it three or it something? It used to be three, at, at yes, yeah. yes. Well, uh, I can just say, Kilo, if you're in, in the market or you can open your home to a to an eight-year-old. What kind of dog is he again? He's he, We call him a mixed breed large, but he does visually look like a Doberman. He really does. And he's got just the sweetest disposition. He's He seems very kind. Uh, I don't know what his obedience is other than that that he sat nicely for me when I asked him he to. He sits, lays down, shake a paw. Oh. I'm pretty sure he knows more. And he did all of it just for pets, not no... I didn't even have to give him any treats. Yeah, well, he's he's adorable. How can people uh, reach out and 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 learn more, Christina? And what's the best uh, What's the best way to get in touch? So you can either visit our website at WinnipegHumaneSociety.ca, or you can call our adoptions department at 204-982-2035, or come down and see us, forty five Hurst Way. You can check out that blowout sale at our pet shop and 
and just even come visit the animals and just see. Christina Graham, Director of Adoptions at the Winnipeg Humane Society. Thank you so much for this and uh, best of luck. Please let us know how things are going and if we we need to have you back on uh, for this or other reasons, we're, we're always happy to do so. Thank you so much. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is back next week. We're asking you about something that is in your possession. And like we talked recently about one of the oldest things or the oldest thing that you own, something that you cherish. Well, maybe not cherish, but you know, something that is of value to you. But now it's more about like, what's just something that you've got. And you wonder why the heck do I still have this? Like Liz, who says, uh, one of our runners up here, Liz says, just came across an old toilet seat in the garage. I was going to throw it out, and his response was, we might use it when we go camping. <laughs> sure. Auntie Didi on the subject of old receipts, another runner-up here. The oldest receipt I have is my first purchase at the Liquor Commission. Oh, cool. I was 16. That's when you had to walk up to the counter and place your order. The guys would get it out of the back. One bottle of Baby Duck. A Mickey of rum, a four-pack of Lonesome Charlie. <laughs> I want to know how much that order cost, Auntie Dee. Oh, yes. The consumers distributing style liquor stores, the days of yore in Manitoba. But we, uh, this, <laughs> okay, we've got two texts here. One is the runner-up and one is the winner. Th- we, we often comment on how difficult this part of our, this is like simultaneously, one of the best parts of our day and one of the hardest because we have to pick a winner. Right. So, Greg, uh, Bill is our runner-up. Do you want to read Bill's text or would you prefer to win- read our winner's text? Uh, I I will read Bill's text. It really gets me in the in the heart here. And and you called it. You said, uh, I said who I thought the winners. And then you said, maybe you need to read Bill. So I'll read it. Good morning, guys. The item that I possess is an old swing set. That consists of four rusty poles and a slide. Everything else has been broken down and worn out from use. My kids, who are 30 and 26, were always on it, having so much fun. When I had to take it down, I could still hear my youngest son singing Old MacDonald had a farm at the top of his lungs while he was on the glider when he was four years old. That swing set now sits in the rafters of my garage, and I refuse to throw it out. My wife thinks I'm nuts, but the memories that set possesses will ensure the only way it's leaving the garage is when it's put in my grave. (laughs) Have a wonderful day, guys. (laughs) Bill, thank you for that. One of the reasons why I I enjoyed this story is that sounds like the swing set that was in our backyard that my sister and I would play on when we were little kids. Um, and I, I imagine it was in many backyards, but, uh, the fact that you've still got it and that you're still hanging on to it, that's awesome. But, um, so that's why it was so tough to, to name you the runner up, but Deidre is our winner. Deidre says in 1950, my mom purchased a couple of beach towels at the Bay downtown in 1999. They finally wore out almost 50 years. So mom, in her joking manner, wrote a letter to the Bay about these defective beach towels. She had fun doing it, but did not expect the response she got. The head of the Bay ended up writing her quite a lovely letter with tongue-in-cheek, 
also going along with the joke, saying that they should have lasted way more than 49 years. He wrote, please accept our sincere apology and we will make a full refund for the towels because mom did keep her receipt. Yes. And she also included a picture of her on the beach towels oh. with her friend back in 1956. Another type of receipt. <laughs> the store credited my mom with the original price of the towels, 67 <laughs> cents. <laughs> so Deidre adds, I love when people get the jokes and go along with it. The manager even wanted to meet mom and offered her dinner to come down and meet him. So Deidre, you win. You get to choose bomber tickets or Boney M. And then Bill gets the other prize. Thank you for the wonderful stories to all of you. Right now we want to talk about the actors because the union representing film and television actors says no deal has been reached with studios and streaming services and its leadership will vote on whether to strike today. The Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists said early today that its decision on whether to join already striking screenwriters will be considered by leadership at a meeting later today. Press conference announcing the decision is scheduled for noon Pacific, so that's 2 o'clock our time. If the actors do go on strike, it will be the first time since 1960 that actors and writers picket film and television productions. We have a text message in our text queue, Brett. You know, somebody's suggesting, why are you guys talking about this? Who who cares about these rich actors going on strike? Well, it has a potential impact to the economy here in Manitoba. Kyle Irving is co-owner and executive producer at Eagle Vision Inc. and joins us now. Kyle, good morning. Uh, good morning, guys. So I know, and I've heard through the grapevine that right now things are a little bit slow, simply based on the writer's strike here in Manitoba. Some productions have either slowed down or ground right to a halt. What can you tell us? Well, really quickly, and uh, that was a great introduction to the story, but let's make sure we understand that this is the American Actors Guild and the American Writers Guild who are on strike. So we have different labor organizations in Canada that represent those people. And we have labor stability here in Canada. So um, when it comes to Canadian actors, Canadian writers working, uh, we don't have an issue. But now the American writers have been on strike now for several months. Um, That strike doesn't seem to be ending. It looks very much like the actors are going to join them. And as you mentioned, for the first time since 1960, both the American writers and actors will be on strike. And so far, the impact of just the writer's strike alone has resulted in some of the Canadian production centers, most significantly Vancouver, seeing a significant reduction in production. In Vancouver, where they do over $2 billion a year in production, mostly U.S. production, they're down by almost 80% so far. So that's the impact it's having on a place like Vancouver. Winnipeg is a bit of a different market. We have a much more diversified production ecosystem here. So we make much more Canadian content and we make a lot of what are called Hallmark or Lifetime movies here, which often use non-union writers or Canadian writers. So that production is continuing here in Manitoba and we've seen a pretty steady ongoing business here because of the diversified, you know, ecosystem of, of productions that we make here in Manitoba. 
So does the do these labor actions in the United States then, is it kind of a mixed bag of, of some good, some bad for Manitoba and Canada? I think for Canada overall, it, it, it can be seen as damaging because about 60% of the content that's made in Canada is from away. And, you know, of, of that 60%, 90% of it is from the Americans. And so you're talking about the service industry where we Canadian crews, terrific, amazing, talented people make shows for the world and in particular the U.S. market. That business has almost stopped completely. And by adding the actors to the equation, it will. In Canada, however, we have a very strong domestic industry where we make Canadian content or we make content that is for the global marketplace that uses Canadian writers actors, directors, etc. The opportunity for that business model is going up right now because not only are we having more availability of crew at a higher level, we're having better deals with suppliers, better sourcing of all kinds of things that we need to make a show at a more competitive price. And the content that we make here in Canada that is our own has greater value in the marketplace because supply and demand says, you know, if the Americans aren't making shows, they still need to put things on the air. And where's that going to come from? Yeah, the thirst for content is is never ending. And so that's not going to weigh, uh, going away, even though there's a strike uh, going on. And, and if both the writers and the actors go on strike and depending on how long it is, just like at the Port of Vancouver, you, you don't. You don't produce a television show or a film overnight, Kyle. So the, the ramifications of this are going to be ever you know, long-lasting, uh, depending on how long this strike lasts in terms of ramping production back up, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and the last time we saw a significant labor strike in the U.S., the, the writers, uh, about 15 years ago, um, Canadian shows all of a sudden started appearing on U.S. networks. So you might remember shows like um, Rookie Blue and uh, Flashpoint. Those shows were Canadian shows that ended up having U.S. networks say, you know, we love this content. We need content for our networks. We're going to get behind these Canadian shows and they're going to become, you know, big network shows. So there's a lot of opportunity for those kinds of things. We have incredibly talented creators in Canada that are often used by the U.S to make the shows down there that we all love, we see all over the world. But when we have an opportunity to use our very best on our very own content, that's a really exciting opportunity. Our guest is Kyle Irving. And Kyle, we are, what do you, what's the gripe? Like, do you know what the, what the, is it, are they both after the same thing, the writers and the actors in, south of the border? Uh, at the end of the day, this is coming down to the most important issue the hill that they are dying on is that the streamers the netflix the disney plus the amazon primes of the world this is a relatively speaking new business model and the way that those models generate revenue is unusual compared to the historical ad-driven box office driven revenue sources which for decades and decades were it was easy to generate the revenue derived from content because of the new model with streamers, they have, you know, for a long time said, well, we need time to figure out the model. It's hard for us to quantify the value of the content. That excuse for that explanation is no longer satisfying the writers. It's no longer satisfying the actors. 
they know that these streamers are making money. They're no, they're making it off of their content and they believe that it can be quantified. So they want fair residual returns for the content that the streamers are making a lot of money off of. And they're no longer going to put up with any excuse from the streamers not to properly report those revenues and have them being shared with the people who it could be argued, really elevate that content and make it as popular as it is. It feels like the conversation between the NHL and the NHL Players Association years ago when they were battling about the idea of a hard salary cap and revenue sharing between the owners and the players, what was hockey-related re- revenue and what was not. And and so uh, there sounds as though there's a, a little bit of a lack of trust between the two groups, Kyle. Well, I mean, labor negotiations are really challenging. There's two sides and two perspectives to everything. Um, you know, this is, this is an opportunity for actors and writers to stand together and hopefully, you know, get the best deal out of the studios. But the big question is, who can wait the longest? Because the studios, it's been rumored, have essentially an agenda to say we can out we can outlast them we can wait longer than them they're going to start defaulting on mortgages and not paying for their homes um and they're going to cave um i don't know that to be true there's rumors of that and and perhaps that is true and that makes it really tricky on the other side you you mentioned the uh, value of the business in vancouver at two billion dollars before we let you go here manitoba has become an epicenter for this type of activity. Just give us an idea of what it means to the Manitoba economy, how the business is growing here and the quality. You also mentioned the quality of the crews that draw people to Canada. I suspect that's true in Manitoba as well. Yeah, it's more than a $300 million a year industry here in Manitoba. And if you know, you do a pro rata evaluation of the size of our market versus Vancouver, um, you know, that's a really impressive figure, and that contributes a lot to our economy. It also, you know, brings pride to Winnipeg because we start to see our home in shows that are on big screens and TVs all over the world. And there's something exciting about that. Um, it also provides a lot of employment to a lot of people, and it's good employment with good wages and lots of regular work, even now. But because of the balanced ecosystem here, it's slowed down a bit. But, you know, we're still working in Manitoba. And that's a good thing because between the province and the industry and the labor organizations here, we've worked together to ensure that we don't just service foreign shows, but we also work on our own. Kyle Irving joining us live on 680 CJOB, co-owner, executive producer, Eagle Vision and Talent Production Services. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your insight on this. We appreciate it, sir. Thanks. Take care, guys. And what, couple, just a couple of quick things. He taught you, Kyle just mentioned it's cool. It's exciting. There's something special about seeing Winnipeg on your screen. The Bob Odenkirk movie Nobody is in the top 10 right now on Netflix because Netflix recently added it. And he's right. Like, it was wild watching them park their car on Main Street at Bannatyne and walk across the street into 441 Main and actually use that as the setting. So that's cool. And then you mentioned off the top, why are we talking about these? Who cares what these Richie Riches think? We just went through the pandemic where there was, for a time, nothing. Like we were all watching Tiger King. There was, you couldn't go to the movies. 
So if the actors go on strike in concert with the writers, we're going to go through this again. And just realize also for every person that's on stage that gets a credit in a film, there's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people working on the production crew, on the production side. So it has a huge impact on those that aren't even on strike. Yeah, like Conan O'Brien, he when the, the writer's strike, ha- the first one happened, he stuck around because he wanted to make sure that his crew stayed employed and could still make a living. It was tough. He had to do things like spin his re- wedding ring on the table, but it was some of the most compelling television I've ever watched. 